Hey, everyone. Welcome to Moms Talk Autism. We are really excited to bring a special little series to you over the next few weeks. Um, We have a really great following and a great community on on Instagram. And those of you who uh, follow our podcast and listen every week, we're so grateful for all of you. And we really wanted to let you get to know us a little bit better. Um, So we're going to focus on one of us each week and um, just kind of dive more into our personal and individual stories, Um, maybe probably focusing a little bit more on uh, diagnosis and those early years with our kids. And uh, the idea is not only so you can feel, you know, like you know us better, but, but we're all very different people and having that connection, maybe you're going to connect with one of us more than you would another. And um, we just really hope that you'll learn more about us and, and feel more connected and like you're a part of this community with us. So stay tuned. When you become a mom, you never imagine your child getting an autism diagnosis. It feels like your dreams have shattered, like a framed photograph falling off your mantle, exploding into a thousand pieces. But instead of trying to glue those pieces back together, this community of moms is here to help you build a new dream, a better one. So join in the conversation as us moms talk autism. All right. So today we are going to be talking about, drum roll please, I can't do it. Jean. <laughs> yeah. Today's all about Jean. Yeah. That that drum roll. Oh god, that drum roll. Did you do a drum roll? There we go. It was so good. Yeah. It wasn't very good. Yeah. No, okay. I, I need we some tried. water. My throat's a little dry. Uh, <laughs> okay. Or we or we need to get you some speech therapy. Okay. All right. I mean, that's not off the table for anybody <laughs> at this point. <laughs> uh, I'm only saying that because Rory's uh uh, registered technician. Um, she's she's Spanish or whatever. Yeah, and so she pretends she was like Rory. Do you know how to roll your R's yet? And he goes oh, Rory, and then she and he goes he like can't really roll, and he's like Mina, like her name is Mina. Um, it's hard anyway. So so Rory can't do it, but he he's like he tries every time. Um, it's very, very cute. Does so. he do it better than Brittany? <laughs> I mean, everyone they were, does it It was better. very similar, actually. Poor Brittany. That's why I was like. <laughs> Brittany. I can I take about it. Jean. Yeah, let's do I know. I'm you not... can make fun of me next time, Shannon. Jean. <laughs> we'll do a That's whole funny. episode. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yes, we're excited to talk about Jean today. Um, we are. And I know that she's really looking forward <laughs> just (laughs) talking all about herself the whole time. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) Just kidding, Jean. So um, yeah, we're going to just ask the the format is, I mean, we haven't done it yet. This is all, you know, kind of improv. So we're going to see how this goes. But the idea is that the three of us are going to ask Jean questions. And hopefully the idea is she'll be able to kind of tell her her origins, her autism origin story with her children um, through our questions. And we'll just dive into it a little bit. So um, Jean, Mm -hmm. give us a quick, quick background on um, where you grew up and maybe how you met your husband and then, you know, your kids and then and then the autism the start of autism in your life. Okay. Uh, so I'm originally from Baltimore, Maryland. Um, and that is where I grew up and spent most of even my adult life. It wasn't until, uh, six years ago that we moved to Texas, uh, where we live now. Um, I, uh, my mom and my dad had divorced when I was three and my mom got remarried again when I was like six or seven. And then she had my brother. So I had a little brother. I also had an older sister, um, who was much older than me also half related because that was from my dad's previous marriage. Um, and I met my husband on a blind date 
uh, first blind date I'd ever been on. And I went out of being polite um, because I got kind of got thrown under the bus, even though I specifically said, do not give out my number. Um, I was... I was and are her. you still speaking to that friend? <laughs> uh, not a friend. It was my stepmom. Um, he, oh. <laughs> he is still speaking to that friend that was talking to my stepmom. Um, and like, yeah. And uh, they, I was at work and I had this like creepy voicemail from this like guy with a very deep voice. And I was like, who is this? Well, who gave, why does he have my number? And then I was like, <sighs> and then it dawned on me. I even gave it to my best friend at the time, Bobby, to listen. And I was like, listen to this. I was like, who is this? He's like, I don't know. Um, and then I was like, <sighs> I was like, I'm going to have to like talk to this guy. And so I think I waited a couple days and I called him back. And then I was like, we'll go. And, um, we we made plans to have a lunch because I felt like that was safe um, and like still like obliging the situation. Um, but uh, what was also new in my life at that time when I met my husband is that my sister had uh, had passed away like a couple months before that. And so I was really heavily taking and looking after my two teenage nieces who were 12 and 14. So I go into this blind date. I remember that I, I remember what I was wearing still, because it's kind of even embarrassing, I think, in a way. I was wearing a torn up Abercrombie jean skirt and like a tank top and like some, maybe a cardigan or whatever and flip flops. Okay. This is what I go to lunch in. My husband is a financial advisor. You I know. feel like I had that outfit too, Jean, just so you know. Yeah, yeah, we all we all had that outfit. Um, Early two thousands. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, uh, I was driving a Corolla at the time too. This is a very important part of the story. Um, but so we're on this blind date, and uh, he's like, "Yeah, you know, I don't want kids, and I, I don't want." I don't want pets either. I grew up, my mom, my mom bred mastiffs and I just, you know, don't want responsibilities. And I'm like, hmm. All right. So uh, currently, a little fun fact about me, I'm currently taking care of two teenage girls and uh, I have two dogs. So (laughs) this was sort of a, this date can be over right now if you'd like, because you've just laid those cards out and now I'm like, there you go. But it wasn't. I sat there and continued to eat my crab dip. And then he was like, <laughs> he paid the bill. And then he's like, oh, I'll walk you to your car. And I'm embarrassed, mortified, because I have a huge deer dent in the side of my car. Uh, and I'm walking and I'm thinking, I'm praying, I'm like, please let that not be that guy's BMW next to me. And then I go, well, where's your car? He's like, oh, it's that white BMW right there. And I was like, oh, great. Cool. Cool. Yeah. That's my Corolla, which <laughs> was infamously then named the Corolla's Royce um, by Brad. Um, is that that car turned to be just like a real like thorn and, you know, significant uh, icon of our life. It was like a whole era why I had that car. And I still drove it around with the deer dent. Um, so yeah, um, Brad decided that he was okay. He liked me enough that he then really fell spitting with the girls too. My family and my dogs. Um, he loved my dogs. And now, you know, fast forward, we have two of our own children and a dog and a half because the neighbor's dog comes over, might as well say two dogs and now two cats. So the guy that didn't want kids. He's gotten all he's ever wanted. <laughs> yeah. He did say that God, he said, if I believed in God, God decided we're going to make life's Brad's life a little spicier. Let's just throw Gene in there. <laughs> um, that's, that's what he said. So he, he likes to, 
That's usually how he tells the story uh, a lot. And then he goes, you married me for my car. And I was like, no, I didn't. (laughs) If anything, I probably thought guys that drove BMWs were like, dare I say douchey. I mean, that's probably not even a correct thing to say, but whatever. I just was like, you know, he's in finance. He drives a BMW. And I was like, "Mm, yeah, that's one of those guys. I wasn't, it wasn't like, you know, that wasn't like, if I had a type that was not probably my type, but there, here we are. Well, here we're we we're are. all grateful to have a little gene spice in our life. Yeah, yeah, I've made all of your life spicy. I am. It really has added spicy. a lot of flavor. Yes, and yeah. and a little Brad spice. We also get the yes. Brad spice. Yes, we do. We do, we do enjoy spice. Brad. Oh, I can feel it now. There's a line of deodorants and body products that are going to come out. <laughs> <laughs> do you like the gene spice or the Brad spice? I don't know. Nice. nice. <laughs> all right. So you live in Texas now. You have Mm -hmm. two children. Tell us about your kids. Okay. So, um, Rory is eight and a half and he is my autistic kiddo. He's also speech delayed with articulation disorder and ADHD and anxiety. I think those are, you know, his pathological diagnoses. He's an amazing kid. Um, he has been adorable since he's been born. He is just, he's completely lovable. He's just so lovable. He's just sort of like, he, he is in pretty much infectiously happy, um, kid. Um, and my daughter is six and her diagnosis is that she's six Um, and, you know, we didn't get a diagnosis, uh, for Rory, any diagnosis until a year after we had moved to Texas. Um, knowing what I know now, I probably would have not moved to Texas, uh, with having a child with a disability. It's not, it's not the best state to live in. Um, it's a lot. You mean in like terms navigate. of services and things, right? Mm, yeah, services um, and just the level of advocacy and navigating this, just navigating the systems here. The system, yeah. Um, okay. As well, uh, um, <clears throat> and you'll you would hear that from any like disability parent. Um, and I remember the first time I heard that, I was like, really. Really? Huh? Why not? Well, I found out. Um, but we have embraced and uh, hopefully, you know, helping other families work through that. Um, but I will say my husband suspected that my child was autistic at the moment he was 12 months old. So on his first birthday, because Rory did not have the repertoire of speech that was, ex- he was expected to have, um, even by that timeline or normative timeline. Now he had all, he had met all of his other like physical and motor, uh, milestones, <clears throat> but he had not, I just was like, mm, you know, it's not, I, I, I grew up, you know, my brother being younger, and I babysat a lot of kids. Um, and I did babysit a child that had pretty severe high needs. Um, and was autistic and, and non-speaking and, uh, had epilepsy and I think other medical, um, comorbidities. And I, that was my association with, um, autism and, I just was like, no, he's, this can't, this isn't what autism look like. looks like. I just was kind of stigmatized. Now I could have been convinced otherwise, but what happened was, <laughs> was that my nanny, who was my stepmom at the time, again, the same person that set my husband and I up on that, that, well, she's responsible for the connection between Brad and I. Um, and, uh, 
she was a pediatric nurse and she was like told Brad that she didn't. She thinks that Rory is just a late talker, you know, that typical uh, phrase or statement that many, many parents hear. And then, you know, our, our, our pediatrician and who was a Johns Hopkins pediatrician and, you know, Johns Hopkins is a um, globally revered uh, hospital and medical care system. And, um, you know, it's also the epicenter of, you know, they have, they have Kennedy Krieger there. So it's, you know, she's saying that my child is not autistic after he had done again, I think when we got to the 18 month mark, again, we're still living in Baltimore at this point, still seeing pediatrician. And Mm -hmm. she's like, she, my husband is frustrated because the way that we answered the questions on the M chat, he, it, you know, it looks like he screened negative for autism. And Brad was hoping that that would have yielded a different result. And the pediatrician picked up on that, you know, body language from him and said, you know, Mr. Mayor, what's, what's wrong? It's like, what are, what's your concerns? Like I, I've taken tests and I believe that Rory is autistic and she looks down at Rory and then back at Brad says, your son's looking right at me. He's not autistic. So her, her opinions and a lot of pathology, uh, subjective pathology, you know, when, when pediatricians are looking, they think that, and just like the MCHAT is like any level of joint attention where, where eye contact is being made. Well, then that completely rules out the, the, the possibility. Like he checks the, that box. Yeah, that's that that's the only okay. factor that matters. Yeah. Right. But even just that, that, you know, in that domain alone, if he's making it, it does not indicate, you know, it was, if you, you know, if I could, you know, rework the MCHAT myself, you know, the non-medical professional that I am, um, it would break down, uh, it a little better in understanding that it is about the frequency and the duration of the joint attention, um, that is made that you're, that you're really looking at. Um, you know, again, I can, I can look, I can talk about this with one, a lot less of emotion, um, and to, um, a logical mind of like that time period. But I can tell you, I was completely adverse, um, and not receptive to the possibility of a diagnosis really. But if my doctor, the Hopkins pediatrician, was would have said otherwise, like, mm, you know, it's something worth looking into. And I would also say one other thing I do, and I always will plug for is any, you know, he had a, he did, his speech delay was all, always there. It wouldn't have, it would have helped us if the immediate moment at that 12 month mark that we just, he should have been assessed. It wouldn't have hurt anything. We wouldn't have, you know, it would have just helped. Um, because by that two year marks, you know, again, there was more speech, but there was, it was still not definitely, it was still, then it was even further from the repertoire that was expected at the two-year-old mark. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, we moved like a couple months after his second birthday. And um, I, I was pregnant with McKenna. I was also on bed rest. <laughs> and then I, you know, popped her out at 37 weeks on the dot. And I, you know, after, you know, once you go from, it's a big jump to go from one to two when you, when you, when you're a mom, like getting acclimated to having two children versus one is a big deal. And, and Rory was a very active two-year-old at this point, like very, and it was, he was very, it was very physical. He, you know, when he was, you know, he was sensory seeker, deep input, you know, rough and tumble, um, which required a lot of, 
you know, physical handling. And so it was a lot, but I wasn't, he did well with the transition of moving. I felt, um, I, I didn't, and I didn't pick up on any stressors that he was having. And it wasn't until, you know, six weeks later after McKenna was born that I noticed that he had lost some speech that he had. So, and I didn't know if that was because of the move or what that was about. And so I started talking. I have a friend that's a speech pathologist and, um, I started talking to her about things that I could do to kind of like prompt and manned for speech. Cause I was clueless of what, what to do. And I was like, well, we're not, you know, if it doesn't require medical attention right now, like everything else is fine. Everything else is fine. So I'm just, you know, I'm at home with, you know, McKenna. Um, cause I was basically, we were, we were in agreement that I was not going to work the first year after we moved to Texas, um, so that we could get our family kind of acclimated in this new space. Cause we weren't going to have the support network that we left behind, you know, this was a whole brand new life. Um, and so did uh, you take Rory to a doctor when you started noticing the loss of speech? No, I mean, he no. was, he was seeing the new pediatrician. Yeah. Both okay. kids had seen the new pediatrician, um, that we, we found when we moved to Austin. And did and Brad bring up autism at that time right away? No, but he did, was expressing to the doctor that he was concerned about the speech. And he said, yeah. well, and he was an old school guy. Um, and he was like, boys are late talkers. You know, I've had five-year-olds in here that just one day they just start talking. And this is the way he pitched it to me. So I was like, oh, see, it's all fine. Like there's not a medical condition here that that is being indicated that his lack of speech or whatever is any indication of anything. I mean, that was, that's, again, this isn't that long ago. I mean, Rory's, right. this is only, you know, we've now are five years into the diagnosis, which it basically does feel like now you're a senior parent of an autistic child. Um, you got your, you got your advocacy legs about you. And, um, I, I just, I, I couldn't by that summer as we were starting to approach his third birthday, I was like, I'm not getting anywhere. Um, and I said to the pediatrician, like, I think we should have a speech assessed because I'm not making any progress. And I've consulted, you know, with a speech pathologist to try to like help, you know, facilitate it on my own and foster it. And it's just not, it's just not working. Um, and then he had that speech assessment done. And that actually was far more traumatizing to us than the autism, autism diagnosis. And it was because it was our first toe in the pool, basically. And they, for, at first, it took a long time to find a provider. Um, and we were also outside of the window now, officially, of ECI, of using you know early childhood intervention services um, that is available to you, basically, in any state that you are in. Uh, so I was, you know, now I'm in the navigating it through the medical side of things and trying to learn that it took a while to find a provider, one that was a network and two had availability. It seemed like there was just a really long waiting list, um, with many of the providers out there anyway. So the speech therapist SLP comes out, does an assessment. We don't hear anything. Then all of a sudden something shows up in the mail. It's Rory's diagnosis. <laughs> And it was severe, expressive, and receptive speech disorder or speech delay. And I was like, we just saw severe. And we were like, what? Because we didn't even factor that in as a 
that what was going on with Rory was severe. To see the word severe and what our filter is for it was that we would never, why, why we knew that there was something probably going on with a speech that we just didn't, we would never have categorized it as severe. And to not, I mean, that was embedded with such ornate jargon, medical jargon, because speech pathology, there's a lot of, lot of terminology that, especially as a new pet, I did not understand, um, you know, like, you know, positions and, um, certain, certain descriptions of sounds and the way you make sound, like all of those things. I was like, what is this? And it was a couple pages. Um, and I had to send it to my friend to help me break it down. Cause I totally did not understand it. Uh, well, when we finally get it, get started with speech and, um, only like two or three sessions in, and this kid is having all kinds of behaviors that I really haven't seen before. And then I didn't know what that was indicative of. Like, what does that indicate here? Is this telling me that the speech is bad, it's not working, or is this something I should be expecting? There was no one sort of coaching us through this or telling us kind of like what to anticipate when things, you know, getting again, even acclimated to yeah. therapies for your child. And then what you learn after chasing the, pe- the people down, you learn that that is, I got used to that. I knew that anytime that we were going to impart a new something that we're going to be expecting behaviors, there's going to be an adjustment period tra- and transition period. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So you, okay. So we have the speech diagnosis. You're doing mm-hmm. speech therapy. When did the autism diagnosis come into play? Um, with that, so that same time that I'm like surveying, like, or observing these behaviors and trying to get some answers, my in-laws were out visiting us for my daughter's birthday, first birthday. And they finally, you know, melt down and are not melt down, but kind of level with us and said, I, I really think there's something else going on besides speech delay here. And speech had already said that they wanted to get him started with OT because they see that he's doing lots of sensory seeking. So I was like, Oh yeah, we're going to get him started with OT. She's like, no, nah, I think there's, something else neurologically. And I was like, and I kind of knew what she was, you know, what she was pointing Hinting at. at. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then they were like, you know, I think my father-in-law had called my husband on another day and said, Hey, yeah, I think you actually can get them evaluated through the school district. You should look into that. And then I said, well, he has, you know, we're going to go back to, we have a pediatric appointment. I said, I, I want to get a referral for a neurologist um, because I'm not, don't want a diagnosis from a school district. I was like, who's doing the assess- Who's doing the assessment? Right. And that's typically just for people to know, there's like kind of two different ways to get diagnosis. Like if they're over three years old, you do that through a school district typically in the United States. Um, but you can also get a medical diagnosis of autism through a neurologist is, is a, a t- fairly typical um, right. doctor that you would see for that. So there's a medical side or there's the, the school side, which they use medical professionals for mm-hmm. it some, most of the time, sometimes, I don't know. It depends on where you are. Jean's rolling her eyes, but, um, <laughs> but well, yeah. Well, also you, uh, developmental pediatricians. Well, that's what you I was also, say. Yeah. So you right. Go ahead. Developmental, yeah. Developmental peds. You could also do developmental psychologist. Um, your sometimes your health insurance has certain requirements for who yes. is doing the assessment um, for them to authorize and you know authorize any services needed for the diagnosis of the child. So yeah. that's something you do want to vet out um, when they're making the referral. You want to see, you know, what the what the requirements are because. 
there's long waiting lists for those, those there can be. specialty yeah. folks. Um, yeah. In many so cases. So you went, did you get your first diagnosis of autism through a neurologist, if I'm remembering correctly? Did you go the yes. neurology route? Okay. So, well, we still did this school because Brad, okay. I said, well, you know, let, let's do it anyway. Right. Cause just to, he's, he's approaching, you know, he's going to be approaching school age soon enough. So it's like, if, you know, it gets, gets things in, in motion, if anything, um, the first time we took him to do the school, I had, there was a little bit of a wait. I think I had like two months to, with the neurologist. Um, there's, so it was like, it was sooner to go with the school, but we still held the appointment with the neurologist. I go into this appointment and Rory's, Rory's doing what I'm used to him doing. You know, McKenna's with us. He's in there touching everything in the room. You know, he, in order to orient himself in any new space, you know, I was used to him having to touch and feel everything in order to like finally settle would take, you know, he wasn't going to just come into a room and then comply that I felt like that was typical toddler behavior. I didn't know that that was indicative of anything um, potentially going on. Well, the people doing my son's assessment, there wasn't, an, there's not enough licensed school psychologist in the state of Texas um, for each of the campuses or school districts. So they certify uh, tenured special ed teachers and turn them into diagnosticians. In short, for short, they call them diogs. So this woman, who was a special ed teacher and an SLP, that were doing this assessment. Well, 10 minutes in, she's like, she's not interviewed me, Brad, like nothing to gain a pulse on any background information. She just says out loud, have you considered autism? And I was like, I just sunk. And I was about to rage, but I didn't rage in front of, but in my head, I was raging. Brad, for the first time, felt satisfied <laughs> and affirmed with his own thinking. He's like, finally, someone that is possibly suspecting something. I said, and I was furious. I was like, 10 minutes in. Um, but meanwhile. Yeah, you, you weren't necessarily upset about the autism, but just the way you didn't feel like she was doing a full. Right. Well, you know, Yeah, but I, but that is important for people to know is that you need to gain the receptiveness of where people are first before you even probably jut out that information. That's the, that's the takeaway for anybody listening here. Um, Absolutely. That's was, that was what it was for me. So then she does, she wants to reschedule the assessment because she wants to bring in other materials to do a full full scope. And she then sits down with me after she's done it. And she says, I, I, he, he checked on these, according to these assessments, he's autistic. But if you are, I said, well, I have an appointment with a neurologist. If the neurologist thinks he's autistic, then I will accept that diagnosis. She said, well, you you can also still be eligible for services and you just would do not NCEC, which is non-categorical early childhood. Um, and you can get, uh, he still qualifies if you decided to put him, place him into uh, the preschool program and do yeah, early interventions. Mm-hmm. Programs, right. So I was like, okay, I was, that was the compromise. Um, and then a couple, uh, like a week or two later, I had the appointment with the neurologist and that was a amazing, uh, experience with him, I should say. Like it was the first time that he, no one was trying, he wasn't trying to regulate my kids. He was like, oh, let it's, there's nothing that they can hurt themselves with. And I went to this appointment by myself. Brad was working. So it was just me and McKenna and Rory. I had my binder full of everything because I had been doing my research, of course. And 
he asked me after we were almost two hours in and he said, you know, I want to ask you, I have my diagnosis I would like to deliver, but before I do, I want to know what you think. And I said, okay. I was like, thanks for asking. And yeah, that was huge for you. Yeah. And I was like, I, you know, I, I know obviously there's speech delay, but I'm thinking it's speech delay with sensory processing disorder. And I'm explaining why. And then he said, all right, mom, you're not there yet, but I'm going to get you there. But I am delivering a diagnosis of autism and now I'm going to tell you why. And then he breaks down and he said, first of all, the very first indicator here is that he had speech and he lost it. Even if he didn't lose it all completely, he regressed in his linguistic and I, that's always a number one tip off that there's something neurological going on. And then he then explained, you know, the social situations and then as well as going into the sensory. He said there is a, you know, social communication, you know, concern here, which is, which would tell you. And he, he got, instead of giving me the general like code for autism, um, he actually did give, gave me the code for initially for PDD NOS, which is, you know, pervasive developmental disorder, not otherwise specified. Um, but he also said, you know, well, your child is, this is how he said, he's like, he's, he's on the higher functioning at, of more severe. He said, if that makes sense. And I said, I, <laughs> that doesn't make sense. <laughs> well, it makes sense to me now and I will get right. to that, but like I didn't then. And I'm like, okay. So I'm thinking my child is moderately autistic. Right. Um, but no, he is, you know, I, I then had to go through all kinds of stuff. Like he, you know, I, he said, well, you have all the therapies in place. You know, you have your, your speech, your T, you have equine. The last piece you need here is 20 to 40 hours of ABA. And I'm like, what is ABA? It's like going on my head. But at this point, I've already been in here for two hours. You know, I'm taking a bullet. And now, and I, I have to be so mentally exhausted. Yeah. And I have, after two you hours, know, you know, Rory's almost three and a half basically and mckenna like two toddlers i'm like i just want to get in the car and he said well i highlighted the ones that are in your network and then i started the ones that are you know most preferred out of those and i you know should start with those first and i'm like okay so i'm thinking this is going to be like clockwork you know like okay well i'm on this he's like you're on this well-oiled machine already you know Uh, yeah we got denied initially. And it was like a long period of appeals. I ended up even firing my pediatrician, basically having to find a new one, the new one, though not a developmental pediatrician. She was savvy with savvy enough with a DSM and working with child children that have higher needs. And so she actually also had done her own assessment with DSM and that was like the first time I really saw like level three and she even wrote like level four. And I'm like, what is level three, level four? And uh, I remember someone saying, well, with that level of diagnosis, you know, he, he's guaranteed to have, you know, his support needs for, you know, a much longer time. But it didn't register to me because as I dig in to learning about ABA and you're learning all the stuff about early intervention. I, I initially thought that this track of therapy and or intensive therapy that we may be walking down was going to be this acute time period, you know, like it was going to have a shelf life and, um, or expiration date. And, uh, you know, spoiler alert, guys, just so you know, it does not have that. And um, certainly not in our case, um, for sure. I think there's some kiddos 
perhaps yeah that's a that's a thing but with us no um that has not been the case and that was a rude awakening that first denial navigating the healthcare system navigating i even went because of the denial i was wanted to look up what my legal rights were from a legislative standpoint and that's when i started learning about you know our state mandates um for care for children with autism um and it is mandated in the state of texas um through in, the insurance plans um and this that was another reason why this pediatrician was really helpful uh they also had someone in the office that strictly helped them work on denials and doing the appeals and the authorization so i then now felt like i kind of had a a partner a medical partner in this to help me get that um approval an authorization that I needed. And then as I, just like I remember, I had said initially I was going to start working again after McKenna was a year old. Um, so during this like initial stages of diagnosis and assessments with Rory, I had started another business in hospitality, because that's my background, I started catering again. And then once he started ABA and learning, every, I was like, I can't, I have to stop this business. I can't. He's, well, one, it was making it impossible to work outside of the, inside of the home doing food. And I was already looking at finding a, a co-op kitchen that I could work in or work out of because my son was just like, I couldn't get through something without him, you know, pulling it apart or getting into kitchen equipment and items and ingredients that just either was not sanitary or um, whatever. It just was not no longer appropriate. And so that was a real big letdown for me um, and a huge transition that I had to make pretty quickly. So not only did you have to reevaluate your career and what what you were planning on doing with your life, but you, then then you started ABA services and and fairly intensely. And I believe you started out with center-based, correct? Center-based. Yes. So So there's center-based where you go to a location for ABA therapy or you can have in-home where they come to your house. Um, yeah, those well, are the two different kinds. Yeah. And you can have a combination of both. So yes. th- the initial provider that we had was a combination of home community and center, but he was doing majority center. And we had started doing some like once or twice a week in home and one day community. Um, and that was working for a long time. Um, he had also started a preschool that was a, was private that um, specialized in communication disorders, and I thought was going to be our sanctuary because I needed that. I I had went to that initial meeting after that big school assessment was done, the FIE, the full individual evaluation for anyone then trying to keep up with acronyms here. Um, you could try, but don't worry about yeah. it if you can't. <laughs> yeah. Eventually it'll just become a part of you. It yes. just will just become a part of you. Just, <laughs> all you do will speak in is acronyms. Um, it's all what all the cool kids are doing. Um, <laughs> they, I was very overwhelmed by the idea of, of navigating special education and IEPs and all of the legal parameters around that, especially after I was walking through having issues and with, with healthcare. And I thought I can only do one or the other right now or one at a time. That was my capacity. So I needed the school thing to be a little bit, 
I felt like that would be it would be more in my control if I was having him in a private school, and I was yeah. in for a very rude awakening, is what it was. Um, you don't, I don't have any unless unless my child was placed into a private school system based on his IEP because that they needed to find other alternative placement for your child. Mm-hmm. That's a different story. Yeah, if you yourself elect to do that you're unilaterally as a parent making that decision, you're footing that bill. You don't have whatever is in an IEP, you know, there's, you have no legal footing to request anything. You're at the mercy of those educators and administrators in that particular school because private schools set their own culture and make their own rules. And, and I also say there was misrepresentation on, on their part. Um, and they admitted so, um, when I decided that I finally had to walk away from trying to curate the changes that I wanted to see, um, in terms of his placement in that, in that particular school, they'd put him in a very restricted classroom and that was very upsetting to me. Um, so then what we did in the meantime, because this was like almost middle of the school year, we were just like, well, let's just do ABA full time. He is you know, four. And that's, that's what we'll do. And then we'll talk about, you know, preparing, decide what we'll do first for kindergarten, you know, yeah, (laughs) the following year. Yeah. Yeah. And that just, you know, bit by bit that just kept my, my advocacy wings kept spreading, but I was, that's a good way to look at it. I was burning out because I was very intense. I wanted to make sure I was doing all the right things by him, that I was, I was so hypervigilant. I just, I was convinced that he would be caught up by the time he was going to go into school or something. And I felt a real big, sense of guilt because I didn't listen to my husband from the gate. And I'm thinking, you know, if we would have had this diagnosis so much sooner, he would have had therapies and services so much sooner. Right. So you have all that going on Mm. in your head. And then you're now I'm even debating in my head, well, would we have moved? Right. Would we have stayed in Maryland? What would that, what have that looked like? You know, um, it costs a lot of money to move. So it's not just like, oh, you just move back. Right. It's not, it's not. Not to mention the career and everything. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, it's just not that easy. So. So how would you say Rory's doing right now? He's, he's eight and a half. Um, Do you feel like you have a good repertoire, a good I, you like to, you know, we, we throw around the phrase cocktail of services. Um, uh, do you feel like um, things are in a good place for you right now? Are you still working on getting different things for him? What's your current status? He, he is in probably the best place that he's ever been um, in terms of school, his supports there and his therapy. Um, and right now we are back to using an in-home ABA provider, um, because this is the first year he's going to do school full time. We had been breaking up, you know, school and therapy, kind of like splitting the day, um, initially because, even though I was trying to advocate for him to have that therapy while in school, um, that never came to be. And so I still had to split up, you know, I wasn't willing to give it where with our insurance, anytime you decrease the hours, you just, you, you have to fight like crazy to get them back. Um, even if you're the one that has elected to do so. So, Um, but he's like, you know, he's speaking, uh, 
he he is his be he's having a developmental burst right now, quite honestly. Right. Um, you know, he has his, his articulation is still quite severe. You know, his his communication quote unquote disorder is is still quite severe and significant. I think it's always going to be a part of his processing system. Um, but it's he's he's never outside of prior to diagnosis when he had lost speech. Rory has maintained all of his skills. Um, That's great. So there's not been any. The only time where you'll see what, where you I, things that are qualified as regression sometimes are are not necessarily regression. They are just sometimes kids are recalibrating if they're having new things that are re-entering their environment. Can you pawn it off as regression to work it out into your benefit to get more support for your kid? Sure. Yes. If on paper, is that what you want to do? However, it's not really regression. He hasn't lost, he or she has not lost the skill. Um, they are still capable. Uh, but you know, he's, he's awesome. He, he is now like, he's so social. He's, he's basically like, he loves his school. He's like the ambassador there. People know him. If, if he was allowed to be a school safety, I swear he would do it in a heartbeat. I would love for him to have that kind of <laughs> position or responsibility. Um, you know, and this is a kid that had, has a lot of social anxiety around people, um, but he is so much more confidence than he's ever had before. Like he is That's awesome. He's yeah. um That's really good to hear. Like yeah, and he's he's good at advocating for him. Well, he can't completely advocate for himself, but he has come far along and has Yeah. Enough he's he's made a lot of progress. That he can say what he wants or doesn't want, right? Yeah. And I, um, I think that that's a big deal to you. That's something that you really feel passionately about. And so I think a lot of that can be attributed to your, your attention and your, you know, yeah, yeah, willingness you to work on that. Yeah. You don't realize how much work managing all of these different therapies and um, school, all of these different things. There's so many different layers to them for yeah. us as these type of parents that requires quite a bit of time. Um, and I know a lot of parents don't have that time and that's something that they're, we commonly get asked about too, is like, well, yeah, how do working, how do working moms do it? Right. I yeah. can still, I still consider myself a working mom. It just, it's kind of like both. Yeah. And you but I can't have a job where I exchange time for money. If, if I really want to be the steward of his therapy and yeah. education and not his services, I, I have another child. <laughs> so it's right. like you, you have that. And so that leads me into my, my last question. We will need to wrap up unless Shannon has anything she wants to add. Um, but um, as, as a you know, you've, you've walked this walk for a while now. Um, you've seen, and, and not only in your own personal experiences, but as, um, a member of your school board and, and working in your school district, you've seen a lot of different, um, special needs, you know, situations and, and school situations to help kids. And, um, is there any advice or tips or thoughts that you would give to a new parent starting off on this journey? You know, maybe they're, they've got that toddler that they're taking to the pediatrician, like you were talking about. Is there anything that you want to tell them, um, and let them know about? Um, I think the main thing that did me in initially and made it harder to start to kind of get a little bit more even keeled um, as an advocate is understanding that advocacy is a slow walk. Um, 
I was always used to getting things done fast. This wasn't an acute thing. So my mindset was, I was really trying to sprint through all of this so that I could still maintain or go back to some semblance of what I, of a life that, that I wanted us to have or that I wanted for my family or the type of parent I wanted to be, or, you know, the type of educational experience, you know, for my kids and, or what kind of just everything we're interpersonal, all of those things is don't, no matter where your child is in their support level of a di- of autism diagnosis, know that autism is for life and you're, you are going to be advocating for them for the rest of their lives. Um, yeah. So you don't have to get it all done. You don't have to do all of the things right away. You can, say no, you can pace yourself more. You're not in this rush. I think we are also, we're. It's a marathon. Yeah. And, and there is, in all honesty, there is some things to consider is that in some States and some services you can age out of, right? So you are kind of in this rush thinking, well, if I don't, get the most out of this before age six, I'm subject to losing eligibility for, for them. And that's a scary thing when we're really like scratching for resources to really support and help our kids. Um, yeah. So I think it, I think it was really interesting how you were saying that you were trying to sprint through this. You were trying to get through all these steps with the idea in your mind that you were going to get back to this place whatever your original family plan was, right? Like I'm going to, we're going to do all these things and then, and then I'm going to be able to send him to school and I'm going to be able to start my career again. And I'm going to get back on track quote. Right. And that's kind of what we talk about a lot on here. And that's, that's in the beginning of our intro of every single episode, you were trying to, you had this, this earth shattering, this, you know, this, this traumatic thing that happened to your family, this diagnosis, and you were trying to piece back your life like it was before. Right. And, and then, I, right. And I was also, I think that's why I wasn't receptive yeah. for a long time is because I didn't want to have to change. Right. You didn't want to have to come up with a new dream, I right? I didn't want the trajectory of where I thought we were going to have to change. I didn't want myself to change. I, yeah, I knew it was, yeah. I know it was going to require, but as I even think back to when I first got pregnant with Rory. My idea of motherhood was that my life wasn't going to change. <laughs> he was just going to be, Shannon's my kids nodding. were going to, you know, us along for the ride. My kid's going to do whatever I'm doing. And that's the kind of parent I'm going to be. And, yeah, <laughs> you know, not realizing that I did, you, you can't make room for something new in your life without saying goodbye to something else. Mm. Um, I really, it's just not, it's just not realistic. Uh, and so there was, I was already changing then before then. Yeah. And then, then, you know, and then, you know, having a child, I never, <laughs> I just never saw that for myself, you know, I never, yeah. never saw it. Cause that's not what we are groomed for. It's not the life that we are groomed for. I just didn't right. think, well, we all think you're doing a fabulous job creating your new dream, Jean. You're doing amazing. And it it's, we don't have the full picture. None of us do, right? You don't, we don't. Mm. But the parts that we can see, I think you're doing an excellent job. I think I can speak for all of us when I say that. So we're really glad um, we were able to talk to you today and ask you questions. I mean, I asked you questions, It's which is fine. Uh, but uh, but we just wanted everyone to get to know you a little bit better. So hopefully this was helpful. Um, and we're going to hope to do that with each of us. Just just talk about those that early time for each of us and kind of go through our, our thought processes and um, how we 
why we got where we are today, sitting here talking in our closets on microphones to all of you. <laughs> the origin story, right? <laughs> so thank you, everyone. Um, we hope you enjoy this this week. And uh, please uh, follow along um, uh, on on whatever podcast you know, uh, platform you use, download our episodes, please tell others about it. Um, and another way that we can reach more moms and dads and parents out there is, uh, by having, giving us a review on a podcast platform. Um, because those reviews then bump up, you know, when people search for autism parenting or whatever search words they use, they're able to find our podcast easier. That's why we want those reviews. And plus, we just like to hear how amazing we are. And, you know, that's great for everyone to feel good about themselves. So, yeah. (laughs) um, And you can also find us on Instagram. We are at Moms Talk Autism. Uh, We try to post something every day, uh, at least during the weekdays and try to interact with all of you. And we really try to answer DMs if people have questions. And if you have topics that you'd like to to hear from us, we love suggestions for topics. Um, and we are also, we have an email if you want to email us directly. We are at hello at Moms Talk Autism. So thank you so much for joining us today and have a great week, everybody. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye guys. Bye.